Chapter Three of Our Mr. Wren, The Romantic Adventures of a Gentle Man by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Our Mr. Wren by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter Three he starts for the land of elsewhere the international and atlantic employment bureau is a long dirty room with the plaster cracked like the outlines on a map hung with steamship posters and the laws of new york regarding employment offices which are regarded as humorous by the proprietor monsieur Barayev, a slender ejaculatory person with a nervous black beard lively blandness and a knowledge of all the incorrect usages of nine languages Mr. Wren edged into this junk heap of nationalities with interested wonder. Monsieur Barayev rubbed his smooth, wicked hands together and bowed a number of times. Confidentially leaning across the counter, Mr. Wren murmured, "'Say, I read your ad about wanting cattlemen. I want to make a trip to Europe. How?' "'Yes, yes, yes, mister. I fix you up right away. Ten dollars, please.' "'Well, what does that entitle me to?' i told you i fix you up ha ha i know it you are a gentleman you want a nice little trip to europe sure i fix you up i send you off in a nice easy cattle boat where you won't have to work much hardly any right away it goes ten dollars please but when does the boat start where does it start from mr wren was a bit confused he had never met a man who grimaced so politely and so rapidly next tuesday i send you right off Mr. Wren regretfully exchanged ten dollars for a card informing Trubig's Atlantic Avenue, Boston, that Mr. Wren was to be ship first pos cattle boat right away and charge my account fee paid Barayev. Brightly declaring, I give you a fine ship, Monsieur Barayev added on the margin of the card in copper-plate script, best ship, easy work. He caroled, come early next tuesday morning and bowed out mr wren like a parisian shopkeeper the row of waiting servant girls curtsied as though they were a hedge swayed by the wind while mr wren self-consciously hurried to get past them he was too excited to worry over the patient and quiet suffering with which mrs zapp heard the announcement that he was going that teresa laughed at him for a cattleman while goaty in the kitchen audibly observed that nobody but a yankee would travel in a pig-pen merely increased his joy in moving his belongings to a storage warehouse tuesday morning clad in a sweater jacket tennis shoes an old felt hat a khaki shirt and corduroys carrying a suitcase packed to bursting with clothes and bedeckers one hundred and fifty dollars in express company drafts craftily concealed he dashed down to Barayev's hole though it was only eight thirty he was afraid he was going to be late till two p.m. he sat waiting, then was sent to the Joy Steamship Line Wharf with a ticket to Boston and a letter to Trubiggs's shipping office. Give bearer Wren, as per enclosed receipt, one trip England, cattle boat charge my account. Sylvester Barayev, New York. Standing on the hurricane deck of the Joy Line boat, with his suitcase guardedly beside him, he crooned to himself tuneless chants with the refrain, free free out to sea free free that's me he had persuaded himself that there was practically no danger of the boat sinking or catching fire 
Anyway, he just wasn't going to be scared. As the steamer trudged up East River, he watched the late afternoon sun brighten the Manhattan factories and make soft the stretches of Westchester fields. Of course he thrilled. He had no stateroom, but was entitled to a place in a twelve-berth room in the hold. Here large farmers without their shoes were grumpily talking all at once, so he returned to the deck, and the rest of the night, while the other passengers snored, he sat modestly on a canvas stool, unblinkingly gloating over a sea-fabric of frosty blue that was shot through with golden threads when they passed lighthouses or ships. At dawn he was weary, peppery-eyed, but he viewed the flooding light with approval. At last Boston. The front part of the shipping office on Atlantic Avenue was a glass-enclosed room littered with chairs, piles of circulars, old pictures of Cunarders, older calendars, and directories to be ranked as antiques. In the midst of these remains a red-headed Yankee of forty, smoking a Pittsburgh stogie, sat tilted back in a kitchen chair, reading the Boston American. Mr. Wren delivered M. Baraev's letter and stood waiting, holding his suitcase, ready to skip out and go aboard a cattle boat immediately. The shipping agent glanced through the letter, then snapped, "'Brife's crazy. Always sends em too early. Wren, you ought to come to me first. What you go to that Jew first for? Here he goes and sends you a day late or a couple of days too early. If you got here last night, it could have sent you off this morning on a Dominion Line boat. All I got now is a Leyland boat that starts from Portland Saturday. Let's see, this is Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, you'll have to wait three days. Now you want me to fix you up, don't you?' I might not be able to get you off till a week from now, but you'd like to get off on a good boat Saturday instead, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, I, I would, I... Well, I'll try to fix it. You can see for yourself, boats ain't leaving every minute just to please Briff, and it's the busy season. Bunches of rah-rah boys wanting to cross, and Canadians wanting to get back to England, and Jews beating it to Poland to sling bombs at the Tsar, I guess. And let me tell you, them Jews is all right. They're willing to pay for a man's time and trouble in getting him fixed up, and so, with dignity, Mr. William Wren stated, Of course I'll be glad to, uh, make it worth your while. I thought you was a gentleman. Hey, Al, Al! An underfed boy with few teeth, dusty and grown out of his trousers, appeared. Clear off a chair for the gentleman. Stick that valise on top of my desk. Sit down, Mr. Wren. You see, it's like this. I'll tell you in confidence, you understand. This letter from Briff ain't worth the paper it's written on. He ain't got any right to be sending out men for cattle boats. Me, I'm running that. I deal direct with all the Boston and Portland lines. If you don't believe it, just go out in the back room and ask any of the cattlemen out there. Yes, I see, Mr. Wren observed, as though he were ill, and towed an old almanac about the floor. Uh, Mr. Trubiggs, is it? Yump, yump, my boy, Trubiggs. True by name and true by nature, heh? This last was said quite without conviction. It was evidently a joke which had come down from earlier years. Mr. Wren ignored it and declared, as stoutly as he could, You see, Mr. Trubiggs, I'd be willing to pay you. I'll tell you just how it is, Mr. Wren. I ain't one of these sheeny employment bureaus. I'm an American. I like to look out for Americans. Even if you didn't come to me first, I'll watch out for your interests, same as if they was mine. Now do you want to get fixed up with a nice fast boat that leaves Portland next Saturday, just a couple of days? Wait. Oh, yes, I do, Mr. Trubiggs. Well, my list is really full, men waiting, too, but if it'd be worth five dollars to you to— Here's the five dollars. The shipping agent was disgusted. 
he had estimated from mr wren's cheap sweater jacket and tennis shoes that he would be able to squeeze out only three or four dollars and here he might have made ten more in sorrow than in anger of course you understand i might have a lot of trouble working you in on the next boat you coming as late as this course five dollars is less than what i usually get he contemptuously tossed the bill on his desk if you want me to slip a little something extra to the agents mr wren was too headachy to be customarily timid let's see that did i give you only five dollars receiving the bill he folded it with much primness tucked it into the pocket of his shirt and remarked now you said you'd fix me up for five dollars besides that letter from baraieff is a form with your name printed on it so i know you do business with him right along if five dollars ain't enough why then you can just go to hell mr trubiggs yes sir that's what you can do i'm just getting tired of monkeying around if five is enough i'll give this back to you friday when you send me off to portland if you give me a receipt there he almost snarled so weary and discouraged was he now trubiggs was a warm-hearted rogue and he liked the society of what he called white people he laughed poking a pittsburgh stogie at mr wren and consented all right i'll fix you up have a smoke pay me the five friday or pay it to my foreman when he puts you on the cattle-boat i don't care a rap which you're all right can't bluff you eh and further bluffing mr wren he suggested to him a lodging-house for his two nights in boston tell the clerk that red-headed trubig send you and he'll give you the best in the house tell him you're a friend of mine when mr wren had gone mr trubig's remarked to someone by telephone another sucker coming blogeld now don't try to do me out of my bit or i'll cap for some other joint understand huh yeah stick him for a thirty-five cent bed s'long so the caravan of trubig's cattlemen who left for portland by night steamer friday was headed by a bulky-shouldered boss who wore no coat and whose corduroy vest swung cheerfully open a motley troop were the cattlemen jews with small trunks large imitation leather valises and assorted bundles a stolid prophet-bearded procession of weary men in tattered derbies and sweatshop clothes there were englishmen with rope-bound pine chests a lewd-mouthed american named tim who said he was a hatter out of work and a loud-talking tough called pete mingled with a straggle of hoboes the boss counted the group and selected his confidants for the trip to portland mr wren and a youth named morton morton was a square heavy-fleshed young man with stubby hands who up to his eyes was stolid and solid as a granite monument but merry of eye and hinting friendliness in his tousled soft brown hair he was always wielding a pipe and artfully blowing smoke through his nostrils mr wren and he smiled at each other searchingly as the portland boat pulled out and a wind swept straight from the land of elsewhere after dinner morton smoking a pipe shaped somewhat like a golf-stick head and somewhat like a toad at the rail of the steamer turned to mr wren with classy bunch of cattlemen we've got to go with not my name's morton i'm awful glad to meet you mr morton my name's wren glad to be off at last ain't you golly i should say i am so am i been waiting for this for years i'm a clerk for the p r r in new york i come from new york too so lived there long uh-huh i began mr wren well i've been working for the pen for seven years now now i've got a vacation of three months on me gives me a chance to travel a little got ten plunks and a second-class ticket back from glasgow but i'm going to see england and france just the same probably germany too second class why don't you go steerage and save oh got to come back like a gentleman you know 
You're from New York, too, eh? Yes, but I'm with an art novelty company on 28th Street. I've been wanting to get away for quite some time, too. How are you going to travel on ten dollars? Oh, work my way. Cinch. Always land on my feet. Not on my uppers at that. I'm only twenty-eight, but I've been on my own, like the English fellow says, since I was twelve. Well, how about you? Traveling or going somewhere? Just traveling. I'm glad we're going together, Mr. Morton. I don't think most of these cattlemen are very nice, except for the old Jews. They seem to be fine old coots. They make you think of, oh, you know, prophets and stuff. Watch em over there making tea. I suppose the steamer grub ain't kosher. I seen one on the joy line saying his prayers, I suppose he was, in a kind of shawl. Well, well, you don't say so. Distinctly, Mr. Wren felt that he was one of the gentlemen who, in Kipling, stand at steamer rails exchanging observations on strange lands. He uttered cosmopolitanly, Gee, look at that sunset. Ain't that grand? Holy smoke, it sure is. I don't see how anybody could believe in religion after looking at that. Shocked and confused at such a theory, yet excited at finding that Morton apparently had thoughts, Mr. Wren piped, Honestly, I don't see that at all. I don't see how anybody could disbelieve anything after a sunset like that. Makes me believe all sorts of things. Gets me going. I imagine I'm all sorts of places, on the Nile, and so on. Sure, that's just it. Everything's so peaceful and natural. Just is. Gives the imagination enough to do, even by itself, without having to have religion. Well, reflected Mr. Wren, I don't hardly ever go to church. I don't believe much in all them highbrow sermons that don't come down to brass tacks. Ain't got nothing to do with real folks. But just the same, I love to go up to St. Patrick's Cathedral. Why, I get real thrilled. I hope you won't think I'm trying to get highbrowed, Mr. Morton. Why, no, certainly not. I understand. Go on. It gets me going when I look down the aisle at the altar and see the arches and so on, and the priests in their robes. They look so, so way up. Oh, I don't know just how to say it, so kind of uplifted. Sure, I know, just the aesthetic end of the game. Aesthetic, you know, the beauty part of it. Yes, yeah, sure, that's the word. Static, that's what it is. Yes, static. But just the same, it makes me feel as though I believed in all sorts of things. Tell you what I believe may happen, though, exulted Morton. This socialism, and maybe even these here international workers of the world, may pan out as a new kind of religion. I don't know much about it, I got to admit, but looks as though it might be that way. It's dead certain the old political parties are just gangs, don't stand for anything except the name. But this comrade business, good stunt brotherhood of man real brotherhood my idea of religion one that is because it's got to be not just because it's always has been yes sir me for a religion of guys working together to make things easier for each other you bet commented mr wren as they smote each other upon the shoulder and laughed together in a fine flame of shared hope i wish i knew something about this socialism stuff mused mr wren with tilted head examining the burnt umber edges of the sunset great stuff not working for some lazy cuss that's inherited the right to boss you, and international brotherhood, not just neighborhoods. New thing. Gee, I surely would like that awfully, sighed Mr. Wren. He saw the processional of world brotherhood tramp steadily through the paling sunset, saffron-vestured mandarin marching by flax-faced norseman and languid South Sea Islander, the diverse peoples toward whom he had always yearned. 
but i don't care so much for some of these ranting street-corner socialists though mused norton the kind that holler come get saved by our way or go to hell keep off scab guides to prosperity yeah sure ha 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 morton soon had another thought still same time us guys that do the work have got to work out something for ourselves we can't bank on the rah-rah boys that wear eyeglasses and condescend like us because they think we ain't entirely too dirty for em to associate with and all these writer guys and so on that's where you got to hand it to the street-corner shouters. Yes, that's so. You're right there, I guess, all right. They looked at each other and laughed again, initiated friends, tasting each other's souls. They shared sandwiches and confessions. When the other passengers had gone to bed and the sailors on watch seemed lonely, the two men were still declaring shyly but delightedly that things is curious. In the damp discomfort of early morning, the cattlemen shuffled from the steamer at Portland and were herded to a lunchroom by the boss, who cheerfully smoked his corn-cob and ejaculated to Mr. Wren and Morton such interesting facts as, "'Trubiggs is a lobster. You don't want to let the bosses bluff you aboard the Marion. They'll try to chase you in where the steers'll gore you. The grub'll be—' "'What grub do you get?' "'Scows and bread, and water.' "'What's scows?' beef stew without the beef oh the grub'll be rotten Trubiggs is a lobster he wouldn't be nowhere for twant for me mr wren appreciated england's need of roast beef but he timidly desired not to be gored by steers which seemed imminent before breakfast coffee the streets were coldly empty and he was sleepy and morton was silent at the restaurant sitting on a high stool before a pine counter he choked over an egg sandwich made with thick crummy slices of a bread that had no personality to it he roved forlornly about portland beside the gloomy pipe valiant morton fighting two fears the company might not need all of them this trip and he might have to wait secondly if he incredibly did get shipped and started for england the steers might prove dreadfully dangerous after intense thinking he ejaculated gee it's be bored or get gored which was much too good not to tell Morton, so they laughed very much, and at ten o'clock were signed on for the trip and led whooping to the deck of the S.S. Marion. Cattle were still struggling down the chutes from the dock. The dirty decks were confusingly littered with cordage and the cattlemen's luggage. The Jewish elders stared sepulchrally at the wilderness of open hatches and rude passageways, as though they were prophesying death but mr wren standing sturdily beside his suitcase to guard it fawned with romantic love upon the rusty iron sides of their pilgrim's caravel and as the marion left the wharf with no more handkerchief waving or tears than attends a fairy's leaving he mumbled free free out to sea free free that's me then gee gee whittakers end of chapter three read by don w jenkins Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.